0: Riech und Ehre, was ich dir noch angesehen.
1: the podcast for the lost arts reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen or actually should we do the dan's roof
2: one? reclaiming the literary holy land from dan's roof today <laughs> because yes. we are here after going to the botched chatification show it was sponsored and well held at sovereign house put together by the great adam lear and we uh, we both, they, they got the two new Wright boys here. So yes. that was awesome. We both got to read, didn't we, Matt? We both got to read. And as I, I
1: recorded on my TASCAM here, my, my field recorder, I, I recorded both of our readings. I haven't listened to the playback yet, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, and I have no reason to think that the audio didn't turn out great, so we're going to be posting both of our readings as as this episode i guess uh i'll cut this out a few of you but i guess well i guess we'll actually know who went longer now uh, because <laughs> we'll be able to see no it. no let's keep but i'm just same. i'm just kidding obviously we, we you know there was um adam did a great job um it was a tight schedule there was two bands playing uh and, like four or five readers but we did it in like under two hours and everyone you know um i, I was saying to dan i think at first, I was like, "Oh no, time limitations! I'm gonna have to abridge what I was going to read." And I read from from the opening of Dragon Day, but I actually think it can be good to to have that time constraint because people kind of hit their notes a little
2: harder. Um, so it was a really fun, absolutely really fun show, and we're happy to to share a little bit of it. Done in six minute intervals, we each would read for six minutes, and that's very special to me because in law you bill in six minute intervals. Really? So yeah, I guess because it, it's one um. 10th of an hour exactly interesting (laughs) so Um, uh, it was bringing it home for me and as we will bring it home for you because you are going to get to listen to our reading respectively from Dragon Day and Nutcranker it's like you went to the event you went to the Dime Square event and hung out with cool people like us Yeah, but you didn't but you could (laughs) have
1: no absolutely um yeah, it's good to good to be in New York. I was just here for a brief period of time, but I always enjoy coming. I think I was here in January last for Devere Ball, and then um, and then this, which was literally in Times Square, which is the first time I've knowingly been there. So, you know, <laughs> uh, definitely always coming out for these types of events, but I've met a lot of cool people and hopefully hopefully gain some new listeners who maybe will hear this. Um, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think other than that, we sort of wanted to give a really brief like state of the pod sort of statement um we're excited to you know dan and i have a couple you know sort of matt and dan episodes planned out um in the near future that's right
2: um bringing I, it back old school Bring it back
1: old school yeah i think this year uh we've been we've been pretty consistent posting um but also wanted to take time to like do our own reading and writing but um So, you know, there's always, with a pod, there's always that, you know, ebb and flow a little bit, uh, but definitely uh, heading into November, uh, we want to start getting out, um, yeah, some kind of more classic-feeling episodes, I would say, is is the plan. Yeah.
2: We uh, we love having guests on, but some of the best episodes are when Matt and I are discussing texts or movies or ideas. We're going to try to get back to that more in the new year. Because we know it's what you love, yeah. and it's what we love, so you're you're gonna get it.
1: Yeah, and we wanted to give a big uh, thank you to all everyone who subscribes to us on Patreon, everyone who uh, gives a little bit of money. As our friends over at Art of Darkness say, like, uh, you know, supporting independent creators is is super important. We appreciate people who do that for us, um, and we. Uh, we're we're frankly looking for more of that. So anyone who's listening, um, if you if you're considering subscribing, do. Uh, cross start- it up,
2: you deadbeats.
1: <laughs> we we're gonna start chilling this a
2: little bit more. I think it's as time well. to pay the piper. Yeah, I'm um, the piper. You know, so, yeah, no, I mean, like honestly, we appreciate the support we have. We could always use more. You know, subscribing, becoming a patron helps us be able to do this. And, uh, you know, frankly, who would you rather give your money to Netflix or Dan and Matt? I think Dan and Matt. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And, um, yeah, we've kind of rolled it out a little bit over the past, I don't know, six months where we have, as of right now, we just kind of do the half episode versus full episode model where, uh, we're still giving a lot of full episodes for free, but, you know, um, frequently an episode will, will have like a. You know, bonus half hour to an hour at the end. That's for paid subscribers only. Um, we probably haven't always uh, done a good job of like making making it clear what 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 the different patron tiers are. But we're going to you know we're kind of brainstorming ways that we can um, you know give you bang for your buck if you are a paid subscriber. Uh, we will continue with that, and um, you know pr- probably start mentioning in shows like you know there's going to be a full full version on patreon for paid subscribers yada yada uh but also you know we're kind of thinking of some other other potential benefits so stay tuned for that but to bring it full circle uh we really do appreciate anyone who does subscribe um and anyone who follows us without you know paying obviously you're welcome to we're never going to diverge significantly from having a lot of great free content that's like part of our mission we're trying to you know reach people and uh give people intellectual and uh exciting stuff to chew on so um there's always going to be there's always going to be great content that you don't have to pay for, but absolutely you
2: know, like many pods we have to graduate at some point up to and you just might want to pay for some of it because we have some great content coming out, and as Matt mentioned, we're thinking of benefits, extras. do we do a book club? do we do, like, a, a, you know, a free dinner with Matt and Dan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can come to wherever we are and assassinate us. Absolutely. And don't yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, a, someone, uh, no, we're gonna yeah. have some cool stuff for yeah, you Yeah, so, someone told me
1: um, that we should have a Discord and, you know, I'm not too familiar with Discord, but perhaps we should. I mean, I, we're always welcome to suggestions, too, I should add, and, uh, you know, Dan and I both work Time, so it can be hard to find the time with these things. But we want to, we want to make it happen. We love you guys. All right, take care and enjoy uh, these readings from Matt Pegasus and Dan Balter.
2: All right, now we're going to be treated to not one but both of the co-hosts of the New Right podcast. First of all, Woo!
0: is Mr. Matt Pegasus. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Hello.
1: Um, I'm going to be reading uh, an abridged version of the opening of my novel Dragon Day, which I published with Terror House in 2021. Um, I'd like to think, like most writers, that the stuff I'm writing now is better, but uh, when I heard there's a band called Botched Chatification playing later, and it, seemed like,
0: uh, it, seemed like,
1: uh, it seemed like maybe this would be on theme, so Copey stood before the mirror, contemplating his penis. It just wasn't as big as he'd like it to be. His face was, he dared to admit, exquisite. His eyes were green and his hair was a rich, dark brown. His cheekbones were high and his jawline strong. His lips were full and pouty, as if he were perpetually nursing a punch to the mouth. A look he knew drove girls wild. But his penis struck him as pathetic. He'd caught sight of it in the mirror this morning as he stepped out of the shower, especially shriveled today, looking uh, nothing like the manhood it was supposed to be. Average penis, he googled on his phone for maybe the tenth time in the past month. He went to images and his screen filled with penises. All of them looked larger than his, or were they? Maybe it was just the angle at which the the picture had been taken, uh, or the lighting, one could never be too sure. He told himself to forget it, that he was back at school now, and that he couldn't waste time worrying about such nonsense. "'I don't understand why people bother eating lettuce,' said Shiv. "'There's literally, like, nothing in lettuce.' An hour later, Shiv and Toby were in the dining hall. Shiv stared absently at the salad bar, where hordes of other freshmen were tonguing greens onto their plates. Toby thought of his mother and the two plates of dark romaine she ate a day, the lectures on her newfound veganism, which had been such a prominent feature of the quiet existence they had led together during break. Toby had tried the diet for, her, uh, for a day himself, trying to lose belly fat, but this had ended on the kitchen floor, late at night with a carton of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Did you know that lettuce contains more protein per pound than beef, said Toby, recollecting one of the many pro-vegan facts his mother had shared with him. Really? No way. Well, I guess you'd have to eat uh, a whole head of it to get as much as, like, a steak, but yeah. Yeah, who the fuck wants to do that? Toby poked at his mac and cheese. The truth about whether it was worth eating lettuce was out there, but for the moment he didn't know who to trust, his well-researched mother or his gym-built suite mate, each of whom seemed as serious about their body as the other. How was your break, said Shiv, after a moment. It was chill, said Toby. The same here, man. The truth was that Toby had spent break alone, waiting for Facebook messages Zoe. Zoe, the sophomore, had been smitten with last semester. He'd gone out with her for a time, sort of, not technically, officially. Uh, but she'd gotten distant toward the end, somehow cold, and in December, she'd said she wanted to take some space. Her messages had come less and less frequently uh, over break until during the final week, they hadn't come at all. Toby worried constantly about what else she was doing, if she was thinking about him, if she was seeing anyone else. In order to fill the empty time, he, commis- he committed himself to a rigid schedule of self-improvement reading books, working out, trying to get smarter and stronger. He'd been moderately successful on the second count, and as he leaned his elbows onto the table, he noticed Shiv noticing his arms. You work out over break? I did, actually. Just push-ups and sit-ups every day. That's what's up. You should come lift with Dimitri and me this semester. Toby laughed and looked down at his plate. Shiv said that no, seriously, he meant it. Toby had had high hopes for the semester but when he stepped off the bus uh, to return for that semester, he'd been sideswiped by a blast of icy wind, a wind which carried with it flurries of snow, and for Toby, the unshakable sense that all the private hopes he had for the semester would be met with frustration. He woke up early the next morning to go to the gym. He worked out with the resistance machines, leg press, shoulder press, chest press. As he did so, he felt a great optimism welling up within him. He would do this every morning. He would stay fit, stay strong. He walked into the locker room to shower and change, happy thoughts in his head about getting an omelette at the dining hall. He was standing with a towel around his waist, getting ready to dress himself, when a tall, sandy-haired man walked in and gave him a friendly nod. Toby nodded back and turned away as the man began to undress. He did so just a few feet away, without any attempt at privacy, and with a snappy energy that made Toby uncomfortable. He heard him quickly unzip and take off his track jacket the gentle crinkles and sliding sounds as he pulled off his jeans, the clap of his belt buckle hitting the floor. Toby proceeded self-consciously, bending down and sliding his boxer briefs up beneath his towel, cautiously so as not to let the towel come undone and fall. Just as he finished doing this, he realized he could no longer hear anything, That the man had stopped moving. Toby was struck uh, by the mortifying thought that the man might be standing there watching him. He swung around. The man was not looking at him. He stood still, his pelvis thrust forward, his hands on his hips like a champion. He seemed to be examining something on the floor. He slowly ran his tongue over his upper lip as if in concentration. There was a strange look of pleasure and pride in his eyes. Toby hesitated for a moment and then followed their gaze downward. He saw the man's penis for only an instant, but an instant was enough to initiate in him a creeping sense of defeat, where images from the internet were always questionable. This image from real life was unequivocal. The thing was huge, vastly bigger than his own. It wasn't so much the length of the thing as the girth, like a fist hanging over a scrotum. Toby swung back around. He tried to comprehend what had just happened. Had the man intended him for him to see his penis? Yet in standing in such a bizarre way, seeming to invite Toby to look downward. Toby had the strange feeling that he'd been propelled toward this moment by some powerful external force in the face of which he was powerless. He hoped desperately that the man hadn't noticed him looking. He hadn't given any indication that he had. Toby stood still, staring widely into the olive green locker in front of him, longing to hear the sounds of the man getting dressed and leaving the room. But no sounds came. Instead, a pair of firm hands on his shoulders jolted Toby out of his hope. "'What was that all about, bud?' the man asked, patting his right shoulder. Toby's mouth went completely dry and he couldn't speak. "'Sneaking glances, are we? I can't say you're the first fellow I've ever had you that here. "'But I'm sorry,' Toby said, his voice cracking, pitifully, in a way that made him want to kill himself. "'A pathetic pussy was all he'd ever be. "'He began to shake at his knees and shoulders. "'Now, now,' said the man, "'nothing to be ashamed of.' "'Toby's heart pounded, and he began to feel lightheaded. "'He leaned his forehead into the locker in front of him. "'The man had not taken his hands off his shoulders. Why wouldn't he? "'What the fuck was he doing? Was he angry?' Toby desperately needed to be alone. He stiffened again Guys, as, as the man, the readers, please. Please. As the man began you. to lightly massage him. Please stop touching me. The man made no reply and began to gently slide his calloused fingertips down Toby's back. Fucking stop! Toby threw a hard elbow into the man's ribcage, but almost as soon as it landed with a satisfying resonance, the man's hand sprang up, grabbing the hair on the back of Toby's head, and slammed his face into the locker. His nose crunched into it and dizziness flooded his senses. He stifled a scream. He couldn't allow himself to scream. To scream would make him even more of a pussy. He felt the man slide his other hand beneath his towel where it was wrapped above his ass. Felt the man's long middle finger slide at the top of his crack. Here he screamed in a quick, grunting way like a wounded animal. It didn't sound so bad, a masculine, reasonable scream. The towel fell away. Toby threw another elbow backwards, but this one didn't land. He was still so dizzy. The man told him he better shut the fuck up and stop struggling or it was going to be more than just his nose bleeding, which Toby realized it was, feeling wetness down to his chin. The man pushed Toby's head down and bent him over. and that Toby knew it was hopeless, but the man was totally in control. Thank
0: you.
2: (laughs) Spectacular.
0: All right, now reading from his New York Times number one bestseller...
2: Nutcranker, Mr. Dan <laughs> <laughs> This is an excerpt from my novel, Nutcracker, it's been quite popular on some corners of the internet. I hope you all enjoy. So, the title of this um, chapter is A Sword of Fiction. Still sipping his $6 cup of coffee, truly one of nature's most refreshing elixirs. Spencer jauntily strolled up his block. The skies were blue and the proles were out, the primordial residents of his neighborhood sitting upon their stoops and roaming about the sidewalks. Were they off to work? Spencer long ago realized that having to work on a Sunday branded one a prole more often than not, as it's only the lower-tier businesses that maintain operations on the American weekend. Where to, Jack? The auto shop? Godspeed you, blessed fool. To be surrounded by such hard-working Mexicans, or maybe Dominicans, and some hard scrapple Slavic types, was nearly as refreshing as a cup of organic joe. Yes, Spencer did not envy his peers who lived among the moneyed classes. How dull it must always be to be surrounded by men and women who were but drones for Davos each one living and working to further the demise of the historic West, one stock buyback back at a time. But why linger on thoughts of cultural ruination when Spencer was in an ebullient mood? Inside his apartment, there was a devoted naked wench on his bed and hours of Sunday political interview shows to consume angrily. When, with delicious coffee in one hand and keys in the other, Spencer entered his apartment. What are you doing there, darling? asked Spencer. Crystal was in the middle of the floor, hunched over Spencer's laptop. Completely nude, except for a pair of faded red panties, Crystal resembled a big hunk of dough with two voluminous mounds in front, practically spilling over onto Spencer's keyboard. Whenever Spencer saw Crystal's bare or even closed Cloved breasts, he felt a sense of pride. But that almost paternal satisfaction in Crystal's comely form was now replaced by a certain curiosity. For the doughy Crystal was not stationary but dynamic, bubbling and rising on the baking sheet in the crucible of the oven. And amidst this tumult, her cheeks shined with filmy wetness. Though Spencer hoped Crystal had been sweating profusely from the high heat of the radiator or had perhaps rubbed her vaginal juices onto her face in preparation for Spencer's return, he knew this was unlikely to be the case. The more likely explanation was that Crystal had been crying. What's wrong? asked Spencer, putting his unfinished cup of joe down upon the eminently serviceable IKEA desk. Clothed in his jaunty Sunday morning leisure wear of jeans and a t-shirt from the well-regarded premium retailer Banana Republic, Spencer still stood perplexedly in front of the young piglet. Crisco, nude and leery-eyed, looked up at Spencer and regarded him with an emotion that Spencer did not immediately recognize. Was it awe that she felt? Was that the reason for her tears? That would have been a natural and reasonable explanation. And though this was a bit of a random moment for Crystal to experience such deep gratitude, strong feelings often arrive on a schedule all their own. ''You think I'm a piglet?'' Asked Spence, asked Crystal. <laughs> ''You think my body is fat like an old couch pillow?'' ''That my face is greasy and pasty?'' ''That my piercings are disgusting?'' Crystal had, apparently, discovered the project. <laughs> ''How could this have happened?'' Spencer always remembered to save down the treatise in the innocently named folder, Work Items. He had wagered that it would be quite unlikely Crystal would one day decide to review his work items. This was a reasonable supposition. Until this moment, Crystal had shown little interest in Spencer's professional work, which Spencer technically no longer performed in an ongoing capacity. And though Spencer had told Crystal he was continuing his association with the Center for Social Advancement on a remote and freelance basis, she rarely, if ever, inquired about his role as a public affairs dynamic in that ailing Marxist institution. But today, she had suddenly decided to open the folder and review the work items. <laughs> Spencer grimly realized that this morning was to be far less auspicious than initially imagined. "'What did you say, darling?' asked Spencer. "'No, I I don't think any of those things. Why would you think I think those things?' "'You wrote this,' said Crystal, jabbing her stubby little index finger at the MacBook screen as the hillocks of her breasts rumbled with emotion. "'Are you saying you didn't write this 450-page diary thing where you talk about how ugly I am and how women need to be oppressed?' "'There was no doubt about it. Crystal had discovered the project.' Perhaps it had been naive for Spencer to hope that she would never find it, that this day would never come. In retrospect, Spencer should have designed a plan to address this eventuality. Without full and proper training, Crystal was unable to appreciate the correctness of the moral sentiment of the project. But as the United States Marine Corps maintained, one must improvise, adapt, and overcome. Oh, so you mean my novel, asked Spencer. Of course, yes. you found the novel I've been writing. And since it's a novel, it's just fiction. It's a satire, really. It's a joke. It's not something I believe. I believe the opposite, actually. I mean, just yesterday I was wearing the pussy hat. You remember me wearing the pussy hat, right? Yet, as Spencer was not ready to concede the truth about global... as Crystal was not yet ready to conceive the truth about global Marxism, this strategic retreat was the right course of action. Did it pain Spencer to deny the project and refrain from championing the values of the historic West? It pained him deeply. But this was not simply a sacrifice Spencer had to uh, make to ensure the continued success of the project. How is this a novel? asked Crystal. It's more like a lot of weird essays. The thing about the government making women marry men they don't want to be with... That's about 40 pages about how um, monarchy is the only legitimate form of government. This isn't a novel. There's no characters in any of this. It's just a bunch of misogynistic and racist bullshit. Crystal was perhaps a little more savvy than Spencer had assumed. Yes, the project was not a novel, at least not in the traditional sense. But what if the entire text itself were a sort of fiction? A story being told by a protagonist who's not Spencer, but someone else. Have you heard of epistolary novels? asked Spencer. It's a novel that's composed of a series of letters exchanged between the characters. Like Samuel Richardson's Clarissa. Have you read Clarissa? No, I haven't, said Crystal. But this is not a letter written to anyone. This is a series of Nazi blog (laughs) posts. There is nothing Nazi about the project except that it supported a return to the traditions of the historic West under the vision and leadership of an absolute ruler. (laughs) And though Spencer acknowledged the differences between the races, there was no plan for the extermination of any particular race or class of people, and likewise, no plans for world domination. Rather, Spencer hoped that the races, genders, and social classes would unite under a divine king who would promulgate the values of Christian and pagan antiquity across the globe. If this was Nazism, then Spencer would proudly call himself a Nazi. Do you hear that, world? I, Spencer Grunhauer, am the villain that you seek. Come at me now, for it is only cowards who sit upon their hands. It's not a series of letters between the characters, no, said Spencer, but more like a series of letters from the protagonist to the reader, in the form of essays. I wouldn't call them blog posts, They're really more like short philosophical treatises. Have you read the Federalist Papers? It's kind of like that. And yes, the protagonist's ideas are a bit eccentric. I would hesitate to call them Nazi ideas. I think it's important we don't diminish the enormity of the crimes of the Third Reich by throwing around the word Nazi so freely. Crystal seemed to sit with that for a moment, literally and figuratively, for there she was, planted on the floor right in front of him. Legs folded and breasts rising and falling like two buoys in the whitecaps. And truly, there was a strong wave making its way through the room. It was all Spencer could do to grab onto the ship's wheel and try to keep them from the rocks. Whether this is real or fake, whether you actually believe this bigoted shit or not, this is still me in the stories, said Crystal. This isn't a character, this is me. You're writing about me. You have these thoughts about me. About how disgusting you think I am. About how dumb you think I am. I mean, for Christ's sake, you call me the piglet. Spencer stooped to embrace Crystal on the floor, to calm her through the power of physical touch. But she scooted away, ironically resembling a frightened animal hiding from its master. If the shoe fits! Spencer reached forward to stroke Crystal's cheek, and she squatted squatted his hand away as though it were an alien tentacle. I'm sorry, said Spencer. I don't think these things. It was just creative license. I'm an artist. You know I'm an artist. You know that. Crystal rose unsteadily to her feet, rivulets of tears flowing down her face, causing her infamous piercings to glisten in the low winter sun that was making its way through Spencer's windows. Spencer again tried to comfort the startled and wounded creature, but she again bared her fangs. "'I need you to get out of here,' said Crystal. "'I need time to think.' Crystal began to pull a black T-shirt emblazoned with the name of some insipid so-called goth music band over her head and down across her bounteous breasts. Hunting for her clothes and covering herself up, Crystal was withdrawing her sexuality from the room piece by piece, item by item. What had begun as a morning of domestic delight was now transformed into the scene of buttoned-up tension Oh, how! Spencer longed to see Crystal's nipples bouncing freely as she beamed a smile in his direction. Then and there, he vowed never again to take her bare chest for granted. Please, baby, said Spencer, placing his hand on Crystal's elbow in order to prompt her to turn and face him. Spencer held on as Crystal tried to pull away, and then Spencer got his wish when Crystal suddenly turned and hit him in the forehead with her closed fist. "'Damn it!' said Crystal, pulling her hand back sharply and cradling it in her other hand. "'The integrity of Spencer's calcium-rich skull, "'the product of a lifetime of dairy consumption and good genetics, "'had proven a more-than-worthy adversary for Crystal's little knuckles. "'In fact, Spencer was more stunned than hurt. "'Crystal's punch was unpracticed, but her message was loud and clear. "'All was not well.' You can stay here and write your Nazi crap by yourself, said Crystal, still shaking her hand as though she would somehow thereby shake off the pain of her misplaced strike. I don't want to be in the same room as you. As desperate times call for desperate measures, Spencer impulsively picked up his MacBook and held it in front of him like an offering. Baby, I'll delete it, said Spencer. I'll delete the treatise. Of course, with the project already saved to an external hard drive and mostly uploaded to three-chain anyways, it was more of an empty gesture than it appeared. But it had the benefit of conjuring the dramatic. I thought you said it was a novel, sneered the Crystal. In his haste to make amends, Spencer had almost forgotten to uphold the charade he had so recently performed. This was regrettable, but Spencer reminded himself that mistakes will be made when one is operating under great stress. Even the mighty Kriegsmarine lost the Bismarck, But Spencer's Battleship was not yet sunk. It is a novel, said Spencer. I mean, I'll stop writing the treatise within the novel, which is to say I'll stop writing the novel. You get it, right? You're the only one who doesn't get it, said Crystal. What you wrote matters. I don't care if you stop writing it. You already wrote it. But I didn't believe it, said Spencer. I don't believe it. What can I do? There must be something I can do. Spencer's pleas fell on deaf ears as Crystal laced up her boots. Standing before him fully dressed, Crystal was clad in her middle school goth t-shirt and high school slut jeans. Spencer thought about every inch that the stretch denim was covering. Remember when we faced off against the ninjas yesterday? asked Spencer. We make a good team. What? asked Crystal. I'll renounce my writing, said Spencer. I was wrong. I take it all back. You can't take it back, said Crystal. You already wrote it.